Hey guys, welcome to After Dark Talk. My name is Soraya and I'm so happy that you're here. To be honest with you guys, I'm so excited about this first episode because it's something that I've been wanting to do since 2019 and it took me a little while to do it, you know, and I can only blame myself because I really wanted this podcast to be a little bit more active than just myself. You know, I wanted to have other speakers with me and it felt like everybody wanted to do it, but when it was time to do it, it was kind of like, I'm busy. You know, and it came and I came to the realization that nobody would ever be passionate for something that you're passionate about. So I had to take it upon myself and just be like, hey, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just record. Let's just sit down. Let's do it. Because if we didn't do it, guess what? It would have been another year past where I'm still here sitting like I want to record, you know, but I'm so happy that you guys are here. Thank you so much. And I hope you guys like the first episode. So in this first episode, we're going to be talking about Michael Hyde. Now, many of you have probably heard about this. Um, on January 4th, Michael killed himself and his family. It is being said that he did it because his wife filed for divorce. Now, we are going to get to know Michael a little bit and see, maybe get in his head or why he did what he did. I mean, we have the reason why, but just going to get in his head. So let's get started. So Michael was born on January 7th, 1980 in Seattle, Washington to Robin and Brenda Hyde. After his father finished dental school in 1981, the family moved to Cedar City, Utah. Michael was described as a young boy who loved City League baseball, basketball, and various outdoor and scouting activities, where he achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. He graduated from Cedar High School in 1998 where he was the Sterling Scholar in business and was described as excelled at everything he did. Michael spent the summer after graduating working in Alaska at a fish processing plant. He also served two years mission for the Church of Jesus Christ in Porto Alegre, Brazil. He expressed that he loved the people he met on this mission and had many fond memories of his time there. After his mission, Michael attended Southern Utah University, where he met his beautiful wife, Tasha. Now let's get to know Tasha a little bit, okay? So we're gonna get into her world. Tasha was born on January 19th, 1982 in Enoch, Utah to Boyd Jade and Gail Earl. Now Gail Earl, Tasha's mother, also passed away with her daughter on January 4th, 2023. Tasha graduated from Moapa Valley High School in 1999 and from Southern Utah University in 2004 with a bachelor's in child development study. It is being said that Tasha's greatest desire was always to be a mom, and she considered herself the greatest possession she ever had. Now, let me tell you guys something. When I first read that, the greatest possession she ever had, I was like, what, what, what? You know, and I'm a mother of three, three beautiful kids. But I was like, why would you call your kids possession? But then after I started analyzing, and I don't know if I have any parents to listen to that, but your kids are honestly your greatest possession. You created them. You made them. And if you're a parent just like myself, you will do anything for those kids. And you will go to arm's length to make sure that they are okay. And you will protect them from anything and anyone in this world. So at the beginning, yeah, I was kind of like greatest possession. But then after actually analyzing it, I was like, I get it. Because my kids are my greatest possession too. But I don't think I have ever explained it that way. But Tasha did. And she brought me into the idea where I was like, okay, I, I got you, girl. I understand what you're telling me. Okay. Tasha um, and Michael got married on May 10th, 2003, 
at St. George Temple. Together, they welcome five beautiful children. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the children. It gets me a little sad to talk about the children because, you know, one of their kids is a year older than my oldest. Her other two, the twins, they are the same age as my daughter. And then their last one, two years older than my little one. So it's, it, it touched home a little bit when I was um, getting, gathering this information. But we need to get to know the kids. We need, we need to get to know who they are. And we also have to be the voice for them. Because I feel like Macy, the oldest, tried, tried very hard to get her family out of this situation. And she couldn't. So I feel like now we need to hear her. Because at one point, nobody heard her when she was trying to warn everyone. You know, nobody was hearing her out. So let's start with Macy Lynn. She was born on October 13th, 2005, and was 17 years old at her time of her death. She was described as extremely helpful, was in the path of graduating high school, and was supposed to attend Southern Utah University to pursue a degree in digital marketing. Now, she was going to go to the same college her parents went. The next child is Briley Ann. She was born on September 28, 2010, and was 12 years old at her time of death. She is described as kind and thoughtful. She loved music and playing the piano. She also loved to read and wanted to become a librarian. We have Ammon Michael, who was born on June 21st, 2015. He was seven at the time of his death. He loved to build Legos and was obsessed with trains. Then we have Sienna Bell, born June 21st, 2015. She was also seven. She was described as having a vibrant personality and loved to take pictures. She loved schoolwork and playing with friends and family. And then we have the little one, Gavin Drew, who was born on June 12, 2018, and he was only four years old. Michael and Tasha lived in Enoch, a small city 250 miles south of Salt Lake City. Michael worked as an insurance agent for Allstate. The company did come out and say that Michael was not employed with them in January, but it's still not clear why and when he left. Now, I did a little bit of more digging when it came to that, and it's being said that Michael sold his business um, closed and closed it down a couple of weeks before the murder. It's not clear to why. I mean, we, we have an idea on why he did it, but I'm not sure why that didn't spark any suspicions. You know, unless he was moving very quietly. It just should have sparked something. Why are you closing your business? How are you going to feed your family? How are you going to pay your bills? You know, but it didn't. Either it didn't open any suspicions for him or he just did it very quietly and very smoothly when nobody really realized that this had happened. Everyone in the neighborhood described Michael and Tasha as the picture-perfect family. They always hosted walks about to bring the community together and they were always the first ones to welcome new residents in the block. Now, they sound like those neighbors. I think we all have those neighbors that are just like very friendly. They sound amazing. They sound like those neighbors that welcome you to the, to the neighborhood. Like, you know, you just move in and they, they, they're in your door with some pie. Like, welcome, you know. And, and I can see why people were not getting suspicious of what was going on in the home. And you always have to. And I always say this. You always have to keep an eye out a little bit more to, to those people that just look way too perfect because you never know what is going on inside their head. You never know what is going on in their home. 
you know, and, and we live in a world of social media where everybody shows their lives, but everybody shows the best part of their lives. You know, you don't see anybody showing the worst part. The ones that do show the worst part are the ones that are trying to scam people, you know, but, but the rest of them, they're showing the best outlook of their lives, you know, and, and you always have to keep an eye out because not everybody's life is perfect. Life is not perfect. Nothing is perfect in this world. So if somebody's showing you that they're just fantastic, perfect, rainbows and butterflies when they walk, something's going on. Keep an eye out. If your friend is acting, if your friend who has the biggest smile in the crew, you got to ask sometimes, like, are you, ma'am, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? I mean, I see you that you're okay, but are you sure you're okay? Because it's all the times the people that look the fucking happiest, sorry, I didn't mean to curse, so sometimes they're not, and they just build that persona that they are happy but they're really not and it's and it's sad and you and again you know if you have that one friend that you notice that it's always happy and it's always there for everybody ask them if they're okay just pull them to the side and be like are you sure you're okay and i bet you if they're very comfortable with you and if they're really your good friends they'll tell you they'll let you know like no i'm not okay so sometimes it's good to ask people if they're okay let's keep going now looking at pictures they do look like a beautiful normal family but Macy, the oldest daughter, had accused her father in 2020 of domestic abuse. She had told the Enoch police that her father had become very aggressive over the past three years. She had said that he had choked her and was afraid that the attacks will worsen and was extremely terrified that he will kill her. Now, as a cop, right? I'm not one. My best friend is. But... If you hear a young lady saying, my father has been abusing me for the past three years, he's choked me this time around, and now I'm afraid that he's just going to get worse and worse because he, that's what's happening. He's getting worse and worse. Why do you just dismiss that? Because this, this was dismissed. This really was dismissed. Um, they said that they didn't have enough evidence, right? And then dismissed this. I just, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. And you, want, you guys want to know what the excuse was that Michael gave them? Michael said that she was just a 14-year-old mouthy girl me as a cop right somebody's daughter is telling me hey my father just choked me and he's becoming more abusive as the years go by and it's been going on for three years and i ask him why did you do it right and he tells me oh it's because she's just mouthy sir sir so it's okay to choke your kid because they're being mouthy i understand your kids getting on your nerve trust me i have three and i've been a teenager I have dealt with my sister being a teenager, and I'm going to deal with my kids being teenagers. So I understand your teenagers getting on your damn nerves. I understand that. I understand you wanting to choke them sometimes. I, I get it. I get it. But to actually do it and just get worse and worse, and your excuse is just like, where they just being, we're being mouthy. That to me is not a good excuse. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. It, is it a good excuse if somebody was to tell you that they choked their kid because they were being mouthy? I mean, I know sometimes taking iPads and stuff like that doesn't work. I, I get it. But I feel like that was a little too excessive and for the police not to want to keep an eye out and just be like, hmm, that's just not a good excuse, Michael. Red flags, red flags, of course. All right, let's continue. Macy also told officers that her dad frequently screamed and belittled her mom in front of the other kids and in multiple occasions took her mom's phone to keep her from leaving. I understand the cops not doing anything because he was yelling, right? Getting loud with his wife because it happens. You get into arguments with your significant other, right? Maybe if it happened in front of the kids, maybe don't do that again. Don't do it again, right? Cool. But if somebody tells you, hey, she's trying to leave this home. If she's trying to leave, it's because 
might get abusive. She might not want to deal with it anymore. Understandable. But if somebody's telling you, hey, anytime that she tries to leave because he just gets very angry and just, I don't want him belittle me in front of my kids. I don't want my kids to grow up in that environment. And he's taking her phone because he knows that once he does or takes all her electronics because he knows the one he does it, she's not going to be able to go. That should also bring another red flag. It's abusive. You, you, you're, meant, you're playing a game. You, you, he has that power control and he knows how to use it. And the fact that the cops are just like, oh, I guess so. It's just regular relationship stuff. Hmm, let's just, whatever. Mouthy daughter. They're just having, you know, relationship problems. It's fine. Let's just, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. I've been with my husband for 13 years. Right. Happily married. Have we had into arguments? Yes. But one of our biggest things between me and my husband is let's not argue in front of the kids. I don't want the kids to see that. I don't want the kids to feed into that because it 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 affects them. It affects them a lot. Has it happened? Yes, it has. And I think I know better and he knows better than for us not to do it again. So, you know, I was a police officer. Maybe I would be there and be like, hey, just don't do that again. You know, and I can probably that's what they told him. Don't do it again. And he probably was like, I promise I won't, you know, but it's just a lot. It's just a lot being add on. Or maybe they thought that Macy was just being a teenager and just wanted to get her dad in trouble. Because again, they were probably, they were, they were picture perfect. How can this picture perfect family be going through all of this? And they probably interviewed the neighbors too. And the neighbors were probably like, they're perfect. The daughter is just being a teenager, you know, and they probably went along with all of that. And maybe they shouldn't have. You know, maybe maybe they should not have done that. There was another occasion where the cops were calling to their home because Michael had taken away all the electronics of Tasha again. And his excuse this time was that he just wanted to make sure that she wasn't speaking bad to her family about his family. So she want, he didn't want her to speak bad about his family to her family. You know, that, that's his reason for taking his phone. I, I guess so. Cool. Whatever. Right? The police did interview Michael, and he told them that he was having a tough year, that he was going through a lot of stress due to his father's death and his brother's divorce, and he knew that his wife and his brother's ex-wife were saying mean things about his mother and about his sister. Okay, I understand you're going through a lot of stress, Michael. I'll give you that. We all go through stress. Maybe you did think your wife and your ex-sister-in-law were talking smack about your mom and sister, you know, but... You're doing a little too much. You're doing a little too much. Maybe maybe your mother, maybe your sister deserved being talked about. You know, have you ever thought about that? But who knows, right? I mean, I personally love my mother-in-law, so <laughs> I will not be talking smack about her to my family. But I don't know. It just it seems like he's not there. You're doing a little too much, Mike. Like, you're doing a little too much. And I feel like that's what the cops should have told him, like, we understand your stress. We understand you're dealing with a lot, but calm down a little bit, right? Tasha did not want to file charges on Michael this time around. She said that she expected Michael to take this as a wake-up call since he was brought in for question. You would think, right? There was another incident. I think this is what? The third so far. So back in 2015, Michael called the police because he said that there were kids standing in the middle of the road blocking his path. Two of the kids that were involved in this were later charged with disorderly conduct, but the police are not coming out and saying that 
Michael's behavior is the one that stands out in this whole ordeal, right? They say that Michael was acting super aggressive. Daughter calls and says the dad choked her. He's becoming more and more aggressive. He insults his wife in front of his kids. Gets called again because he's taking his electronics away from the wife. Then this incident happens and the cops only remember him being extremely aggressive. But we still, what? We still don't believe? We still gonna let him move on like nothing happened? We're just gonna be like, hey, whatever. Maybe this is why he thought he could get away with murdering his family, if you really think about it. He's getting so many passes. He's just getting like a little slap on the wrist, like, bing, you're fine. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving along. Picture up our family, no problems. Nobody was putting the blame on him and having him take responsibility. This is why he thought that he was okay with killing his whole goddamn family. Nobody held, held him accountable for anything. Like, how many things does this man have to do for you to be like, yeah, he, he's the problem? Because I, I got some tea to tell you after I finish this. I have some tea to tell you. And the reason why I say that. What else does this man have to do? Which he can't do nothing anymore because he's dead. For everybody to hold him accountable for his actions. On December 21st, 2022, Tasha filed for divorce according to court records. On December 27th, Michael was served with divorce paper. Tasha did express to her lawyer, James, that she was fearful that she could be in danger from her husband. Prior to everything happening, Tasha told her family members that her husband had removed all firearms from the home. Now, Tasha telling you, and most likely Tasha did tell her family about what was going on in the home. If Tasha's telling you that he removed all firearms, wouldn't that a light bulb go off and be like, ah, uh, uh, we gotta help her? Maybe they did. Maybe this is the reason why Tasha's mom was in the home. They maybe thought that he wasn't going to do anything while Tasha's mom was in the home, which was incorrect. But like both should have started going off. No. Tasha met with her lawyer again on January 3rd before the family's bodies were discovered. And she also expressed to him there that she was very terrified of, the, of this man. And she knew that he was capable of doing something. And again, instead of helping this woman, this woman is telling you that she's terrified of her husband. Should have, should have done something to help her. You know, and this is allegedly. So allegedly, from what I read, she did express to, to her lawyer that she was she was afraid. You know, what wasn't anything done. Like, I don't, I don't understand. So initial reports say that police were dispatched to the home for a welfare check on the afternoon of Wednesday, January 4th, after Tasha's friend said that she had missed an appointment. Police went into the home and they found that Michael had shot his wife, his five children, and his mother-in-law, and of course himself. Like, I'm sorry, right? Michael is a coward. I'm sorry. I have to say this. He's a coward. And anybody that commits any type of crime and then kills themselves, it's a coward. You're, that's all you are. You're a coward. Because if you're going to commit a crime like that, at least have the balls to pay for your actions. This man killed his whole family, killed his mother-in-law, and then killed himself because he didn't want to deal with, with the repercussions of his actions. You're a coward. I have no respect for you. No respect for you. Now, an unsealed search warrant revealed that neighbors from the family's church were actually the first people to enter the home and discover the bodies before authorities arrived to check on the family. Now, this is what makes me a little bit 
crazy, right? Because I couldn't really find this information everywhere. But it's being said that the neighbors found the bodies first, right? Before the police did. Did they call the police? Did they say, oh shit, let's not get involved in this. They found the body. For them to go in the house, they had to hear something. They probably heard the gunshots and they probably went into the home to see what the hell was going on. But why did it take for the friend to call the cops for the cops to go into this house? Why didn't the neighbors call first? What's going on? Why why did it take you guys so long? Like, what the hell is happening, right? Am I the only one that is getting confused? Like, it's insane. It's insane to me. I don't know how you guys feel. Let me know which how you guys feel. Like, to me, it's insane. And one of the reasons why I said that nobody held this man accountable is because, because I was reading what they had given at his funeral, and they described him as an amazing father. You would think that this man was a saint. You would think that somebody went into this home and killed his family on an attempted robbery or something, right? The way they describe this man. Amazing father, amazing husband, amazing at everything he did. You guys couldn't even have this man take responsibility at his funeral. You made him a saint, and that's disgusting. That's super disgusting, and that's a slap in the face to Tasha's family and to those kids. Make this man responsible, because I'm pretty sure, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm, I'm keeping it 1,000 with you guys. One of my kids was ever to do something like this. I would not. I would, you would not hear me say anything nice about my child. For one, I would call him a coward because that's what he is. You killed your family and then you killed yourself. But then on top of that, you want me to sit here and paint a picture like you're perfect? No, I'm not. Because it seems like nobody could give this man to take responsibility for his actions. And then even at death, they couldn't even do that. It's, it's bad. And also the neighbors, like the neighbors most likely again heard the gunshots. And instead of doing something about it, they just... They probably put their hands up like, ah, never mind, the police will come. Eventually, the police will come, you know? And I feel like everybody failed this family. I feel like her lawyer failed her. If it's true that he, she did express to him that she was afraid. I feel like the police also failed her a little bit because they should have done their investigation a little bit more deeper than just believing everything that came out of Michael's mouth. And, you know, if you've ever been in a situation, in a toxic relationship, a toxic situation like that, it's hard to leave. And I understand because I was wanting a toxic relationship and, and it's hard to leave, right? But I feel like she was trying to do her best. And I feel like she just didn't have the backup that she should have had. And to Tasha's family, you know, my, my deepest condolences are with you because it's horrible. They should have had her back, you know, and I feel like nobody really had her back. And nobody really heard out Macy. And I feel like if they should have listened to Macy, this, this wouldn't have happened. But what do I know? But again, guys, this is the end. of. Please let me know what you think about this case. And again, thank you for being here on my first episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Muchos besos. And welcome to La Familia.